Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar and Ground questions episode where we seek to provide biblical perspective to pressing questions. And today we're going to be talking about the questions of doubt, our doubts about God, about the Christian faith. And today we're joined for a second time on the Pillar and Ground Podcast, our friend and ruling elder, Bill Davis. Welcome, Bill. Good to be here, Brian. Bill is a professor at Covenant College and is a part of our family here. And we're so glad. And we want to talk about this subject that uh, I know uh, affects a lot of people. Um, and it maybe does. it affects a lot of people silently. They're afraid to ask. Yes. Um, but I'm just going to start with some basic questions and have you talk it through with us. Okay. Uh, and just so you know, uh, listeners, this will be a two-part uh, podcast. We're going to start the conversation and then we'll finish it in a second part. So the first question is just dealing with doubt about God's love of me. Okay. Like I know, maybe somebody say intellectually, I know God loves people. But how could I know he really loves me? It sure doesn't seem like it. Doubts about God's love being for us is often an extremely clear sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in someone. Mm -hmm. Because as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our own sinfulness, we're increasingly aware of how unlovely we ought to be to God. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily someone new to the faith, but someone who's going through a period of intense spiritual growth is going to be the most likely to be uh, to be besieged by this sense that, oh no, if God knows me, especially in the things that I'm right now learning about myself, mm. about the twistedness of my uh, devices and desires of my heart, that I don't love me and I see lots of other people who've got it all together, and I understand why God loves them. Mm. And I know God is a God of love, but I, now that I know, now that I can see how messed up I am, I know I'm not lovely, so how could God? When you're not in the midst of that, it's easy to see what's wrong with the thinking. Yes, It's easy to see how inconsistent that is with what Scripture says about God's love and about Jesus' love for, love for sinners and about the sufficiency of, of Jesus's blood for all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're in the midst of it, and especially when it's new, it's, mm. it's not that your sinfulness is new, it's that there's yet another layer of sinfulness that you've discovered. And it doesn't have to be the devil tempting you to disbelieve God. Mm. It's just you're taking your own sin seriously. And so you don't call some, you don't, uh, rebuke someone for that kind of doubt typically because typically it's uh, a sign of spiritual growth mm. the main thing that that person needs to hear and that they need to say to themselves is how great jesus is mm. <clears throat> uh, what john newton said is reported to have said is that i am a great sinner and i have a great savior mm. and that jesus's love is greater than all my sins mm. you know the the hymn says that the Bible says yeah. that Jesus is greater than all your sins. So when you find it hard to believe that God loves you, uh, this is going to turn out to be true for all the doubts mm. is that is the first thing to do is to seek Jesus where he said he would be found mm. 
read the scriptures, yeah, go to worship, pray, uh, but especially read the scriptures and go to worship because mm-hmm. in worship you will hear God's love proclaimed for you, not just uh, that's a, a sermon isn't a lecture. It isn't a lecture about things that you're supposed to believe about God. Mm. It is God speaking to you, mm. saying, my child, I am here. I am for you. Mm-hmm. Follow. That's good. Uh, in a previous podcast, we I mentioned Eugene Peterson saying that the reason we need pastors or mentors or elders, shepherds, is because though God is always present, he's often not apparent. Mm, that's and good. And that, that worship makes you go, God's here. Right. He sees me. He knows me. Um, speaking of that, some people um, may wrestle with, there's really no spiritual anything, mm. and I'm just sort of this pointless piece of matter that somehow showed up in this earth and story. And right. There's no meaning, and I'm just destined to die and be eaten right. by worms. I know that that sounds dark, but... It is dark. It is dark, but it's also... It's increasingly common yeah. as something that you suspect. It's related to what uh, we were talking about a minute ago. Um, it's related to a moment of reflection. You start taking seriously instead of just putting one foot in front of the other uh, doing the next task it uh, usually comes upon you in a time of routine or um, you're doing something that doesn't take up all of your attention Mm. and we're really good at distracting ourselves at doing things that take up enough of our attention that we're not pressed upon Mm. by larger questions like is there a point to my life. So when you're, uh, when you're working out, if you're pushing yourself, that's going to be part of the point you're pushing yourself. It really does take up all of your concentration just to keep going because otherwise you know, like san- sanity would take over and <laughs> you'd stop. <laughs> so you're, you're pushing yourself because you know, you need to, you know, you need this for conditioning, but you might be washing the dishes which is something that you could do. I mean, it has to be done, but it doesn't take up all of your attention. And then so your mind has an opportunity to drift. And maybe you didn't turn on this podcast so that it would be filling your mind while you were washing the dishes. You were just, you had like 10 minutes worth of dishes to wash. So you didn't turn anything on. You're just washing the dishes. Um, And you've got time to reflect on why am I washing the dishes? Who would notice if I didn't? And it doesn't take very long for your attention to get to, what's the point of anything? <laughs> well, then you, you, end up, uh, you end up wrestling with the spirit of the age. because And, and this might be part of whatever the principalities and powers or uh, demonic forces. I'm not exactly sure how that works. I don't think Satan can put ideas in my head. But I think Satan can surround me with with ideas that make it hard to mm-hmm. to take God's presence in my life with the kind of seriousness that it deserves mm-hmm. because I can't see God. I can see the effects. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't see the wind, but you can see what it does. Yeah. So when your mind's wandering, 
you, it's easy to fall back into, how does everyone around me think about the world? Well, everyone around me on TV, in the movies, uh, everything is sanitized of spiritual reality. It's, and I, I don't know that it's, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think that it's, there's something comforting about not having to, to deal with God's immediate presence in all things and that God is the judge mm-hmm. and Jesus is going to judge everyone for everything. That's, um, that's scary on one level. Uh, there's something to be afraid of there in the mm-hmm. end. And so rather than do that, we just say, well, there's, there is no spiritual reality. Mm-hmm. And so the culture is the culture around us. And I don't mean this is not in a spooky, scary way. Uh, we live in an age that has pushed that out of the conversation. Uh, it helps to read historical fiction or history and just to be reminded of a time not very long ago uh, when it was completely different when Mm -hmm. when when you were washing the dishes or milking the cow or something that was routine your mind went to the spiritual chargedness of everything Mm. that what you were doing was part of god's work in the world that you were uh imposing order to uh, to fulfill the creation mandate that mm-hmm. you were uh, you were doing this so that uh, poor people could drink milk and be fed and so you understood every moment in light of the spiritual reality mm-hmm. because everyone around you did 500 years ago everyone every smart person in the world knew there was a god knew there was going to be a judgment it was part of what everyone took for granted so mm-hmm. it's easy but we now live in an age where everyone is somehow confident that there's no spiritual reality. Yeah. And so in those moments of routine, you've, you learn important things about yourself. Where do you default to when you slide back into not on tiptoes leaning into the world as you, you know it must be because of what the scriptures say? Mm-hmm. You just fall back into like, what, like everybody around me. Yeah. <laughs> and in that moment, it's really hard to believe because then you have to you have to deal with the challenge. Do you know better than every voice you hear, <laughs> every other voice you hear when you're not at church or when you're not with your other Christian friends? Mm-hmm. Like, are you that arrogant mm-hmm. that you are right and all of those people who think there's no spiritual reality are wrong? Mm. that is um and and those challenges if we're honest hit all of us i was recently um watching uh the memorial service for tim keller Mm. and in the middle of it the pastor said jesus once said come to me all you who are weary and i'll give you rest and my mind went we're following this person jesus Tim Keller's dead. All these people have gathered with hope. This is all real, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where. Yeah. That's me. I, that's I'm, you. And and, and you're I kept Pastor watching. Brian. I'm, that's right. <laughs> and I kept watching. Yeah. And kept engaging. Mm-hmm. And arose and said, "It's real." Yeah. But that thought, could it be that there's nothing about this at all? Yeah. That's an utterly ordinary thought. In itself, there's nothing sinful about it. Mm. 
what it is is ordinary. And part of the way we know that it's ordinary is the way Jesus dealt with his disciples when they were, when they were doubting. You have to remember, uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is uh, in Matthew 28, uh, verse 15. So in 28, 16, we have the Great Commission. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth given to me, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Right? Go. The people that he's talking to are his disciples. That part makes sense. But the verse just before it says, They had gathered on the mountain. This is the mountain from which Jesus will ascend. They're looking at Jesus with his glorified body. This is the risen Lord. And they're there with the risen Lord. And it says, They were there on the mountain when they saw him. They worshiped him, and some doubted. And some doubted. And the very next words are, and Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Jesus' words are, "Um, I'd like the doubters out of here. Um, I've got an important task for the ones who are worshiping me without doubting. No, to the doubters, he says, go. That's good. That's really good. That's me. That's Pastor Brian. That's That's right. Uh, it's everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's not whether you have doubts, it's what you do with them. That's good. Uh, there's a lot of ways doubts come to us. It, they come sometimes out of screaming agony of life circumstances. We're going to talk about that in part two. Uh, but they also come intellectually, the mind wrestling with how do I verify? How do I know? We've talked about some of that already, but uh, you see a lot of the best educated people in the world and they they seem to treat christianity like a joke Mm -hmm. um is it intellectually embarrassing to believe this just because the bible tells me so um that that wrestling with this feels like sunday school for kids it's okay to believe these things but when you get intellectually when you grow when you become educated right talk about the intellectual credibility of Christianity and the, our struggle with those intellectual doubts. I certainly know a lot about this firsthand. I finished uh, graduate work at Notre Dame and I went looking for a job <clears throat> as a philosopher, which is, uh, there's nothing affirming about looking for work in the academy because these are people who have made their reputation on being the smartest person in the room. Mm. And the last thing they're ever going to do is admit that the, the very young person in front of them is able. <laughs> and so the interviews are usually, um, they're crude ways to put it, but the, let's just say they're contests. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and they're looking for a way to make you feel small, uh, not, you know, in most job interviews, you're trying to find out, does the person you're talking to handle stress well? Only that's not what's going on in an academic interview. They're not trying to find out how you're going to handle yourself when students ask hard questions. They just want to put you in your place. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. it. <laughs> so I ended, up, I ended up being an affirmative action hire, even though I'm a very white male. And it's because there were two candidates, and I, the two candidates, they, they looked, we looked the same on paper. But uh, I was applying at a historically Methodist, but really very secular school. Mm. And 
of the two candidates. I was the more exotic. I would bring diversity to the campus, uh, a faculty of 200 people. Uh, I would bring diversity by being the only person with a PhD who believed the Bible was true. Mm. <laughs> and that ended up making me more exotic than the alternative because they couldn't believe that somebody with a PhD in philosophy believed the Bible was true. Wow. So I was odd, um, but they also just, they were intrigued because they were confident that anybody who'd had, who'd spent their life being educated would have given this up by now. They would have realized that it was the sort of thing that you believe when you're ignorant and as a way of dealing with the overwhelming scariness of the world, you cling to, and this is a psychological explanation, right? So you need some kind of religion to be true because you're afraid and you hug it like a teddy bear. Yeah. Right. So some kind of emotional crutch. And they, they couldn't believe that somebody who had intellectual capacity to deal with uh, the world as it is would mm -hmm. continue to cling in this way. So they, many people would walk up and say, like, we've heard that you believe that the Bible is true and that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, really? I'd say, yes. And they say, how can you continue to believe that? I'd say, um, I've met him. And once you've met Jesus, Jesus, it isn't that you get so smart that you realize that Jesus is who he says he is. It's that Jesus comes and rips your heart out and gives you a new heart that's able to see uh -huh. the truth of it all. Hmm. And so um, it's, it's also humbling, but in a different way, in a glorious way, because it was for my good that I was, uh, that I was made a, a follower of Jesus by Jesus. I'm not a follower of Jesus because I'm smarter than the people who aren't followers of Jesus. Yes. I'm a follower because Jesus changed me. And so when I see, so I had 199 other professors at this school, I thought zero of them knew Jesus. It turned out that over 20 of them did, but they had kept it a secret because it was so hard to deal with all of the contempt mm, <laughs> and mm, mm, needling mm. and picking at. So they just didn't tell anybody. But it wasn't important because they, they were teaching math uh, or chemistry or uh, environmental biology. So there were and strong believers, but they just didn't talk about it at work. Yeah. And no one knew. And they were all thrilled when I got hired because when, the hire, when, I, when my hiring was explained, they were told, so he's coming because he's a conservative evangelical Christian. That's why we're excited about having him here. Give us a new voice on campus. And so <laughs> they would come to me like quietly, like Nicodemus at night. They would come to me <laughs> quietly and say, just want you to know you're not alone. It's okay. <laughs> but a lot of them, because it turns out that part of the way the world want, uh, um, encourages us or discourages us from believing the things of, of the gospel to believe that spiritual things are real is they push everyone who knows it's real into silence. Mm -hmm. And so, and probably nearly everyone listening to this podcast has had the experience of thinking, Oh, 
they're in a conversation at work or with you know with friends in a, in a mixed crowd not with you know not all christians it's not a church event but you're with a mixed crowd and it occurs to you whoa there's something spiritually exciting just happened and then you realize i can't say anything <laughs> because mm-hmm. if i do it, it will bring everything to a screeching halt mm-hmm. because everyone will know that you can't just let that one slide that was a challenge to who we are. So we've all felt the way, um, the pressure, the social pressure. Yeah. Uh, the problem is that not only do we feel it when we're with groups of other people, we feel it when we're all alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something, something spiritually exciting happens, and it might not be exciting in the hui sense. It might be exciting yeah. in the important sense. Like you come under conviction about sin. You recognize that, oh, earlier today, I treated somebody uh, like horribly. And you think, I should find them and ask them to forgive me. Mm -hmm. But then the feeling that you have when the people around you don't want spiritual things dropped like a bomb into the conversation, you let it happen to you then. Mm -hmm. You're alone. (laughs) You become aware of... uh, uh, someone that you need to be reconciled to, you become aware of the selfishness of your own heart and mm. uh, and you'd want to cry out to the Lord. And even then you think, no, that's mm-hmm. not what smart people do. It's not, and it, it's, it turns out that it's harder. The, the influence of that squashing pressure is more intense the more affluent you are. Mm. Because affluence brings with it the expectation that your social credibility, your respectability, is an essential part of you having the kind of social place that you do. And it doesn't have to be about wealth. It just has to be about, I have to maintain my credibility. Mm -hmm. And so the more you need credibility in order for you to have the place in the world, to have the life that you want, the more pressure it will be for you, not only not to say it around other people, but even to say it in your heart quietly, lest it get out. Mm. And so you can develop habits of, of suppress. This is just suppressing the spirit. Mm. Spirit moves you to rejoice and you say, not now. (laughs) And these kinds of habits can be really crippling because mm-hmm. you can lose the ability to take delight in the truth. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, that is not always the explanation for why you're finding it so difficult to believe that, uh, that spiritual reality is, is a part of things. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't help that yeah. you have social credibility, that you have a place that you need to maintain, all of which in this culture would be hurt if they knew just how weird you were yeah well uh, as we wrap up this first part i want to ask this as kind of our closer um so do you have to turn your brain off and to meet him i mean if you you said to those professors i've met him yeah you know we we look at the disciples they were uh from a pre-scientific era they were largely uneducated so to meet jesus you just have to turn your brain off is that no. what happens? Uh, another reason, uh, another good reason to know a little bit more about history than the last ten minutes, <laughs> uh, 
you can say that in a pre-scientific era, and then you can, and then you just define it away, like everyone who's smart. Yeah. Like here's the test of smart. Step one: you stop believing about religion. Well, that means that you have to take like the founder of modern science, Francis Bacon. I realize it's the 1600s, um, and he's famous for making objectivity the goal in scientific inquiry. And the story that we're told about him is that he thought that one of the great obstacles to scientific advancement was religion. Well, true enough, but he also was a good Puritan who did all of his scientific work as part of a service of worship to God as exercising dominion over the world God made us responsible to care for. So he was a serious follower of Jesus. He thought that the religion that he wanted not in the way of science was settled, dogmatic, Roman Catholic teaching. Now, I don't, this is not about Roman Catholicism. It's just the, the, the hierarchy of the church had said there are some things that we don't want scientists trying to figure out, like whether the earth goes around the sun. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. So there were settled... Uh, doctrines that the church was teaching that we now do not hold, and we don't think they're taught by the Bible. Mm -hmm. But he wanted that out of the way, but he certainly didn't want all religion out of the way. Uh, Isaac Newton, like very, very smart people in history, people that we now think of as the pillars of modern enlightened thought, themselves were Christians hmm. and serious about it. It's, it's just part of the mythology that maintains the secular understanding of the world, that everybody who's ever been smart was anti-religious. That's just false. Yeah. Any more than right now, the, the person most responsible for the completing of the human genome, Francis Collins, is a serious follower of Jesus. Um, you can't, it's, it's, a really, it's a losing proposition to say all of the smartest people have rejected religion because it's not even true today, let yeah. alone in the past. That's good. Well, there's a lot here, and we're going to move uh, in our next episode to really uh, the doubts of the heart when the circumstances of life seem to deny the credibility of any loving God. Uh, but thank you for joining us on this episode of Pillar and Ground. We look forward to the next episode on part two on doubts about God.